0: Bandwidth for April has been provided by CashFly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. CashFly delivers all of our content here, 5x5, and they are the best. Check them out at CashFly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland.
1: Dan Auer, San Francisco.
0: We recorded this episode on April 15th. 2015 this is on the grid episode 111 we couldn't help ourselves and we just had to finish our conversation that we started on the last episode about the finest bad movie ever made
1: the room here we go hi dan how are you doing dan i'm doing well how are you matt did anything interesting happen this week to you i got back from hartford today hartford connecticut i was on a
0: press check today okay so and he can make fun of me about being in the past again if he wants no
2: Stuff no like no press checks are cool first of all i wasn't making fun of you i well, i was making fun of you a little bit for you're cutting making your fun finger of me off.
0: because i cut my finger and then you made fun of me uh, for being in the past so I,
2: i'm just making fun of you for cutting your finger doing arts and crafts
0: i severely hurt myself and you <coughs> decided to make it some sort of big podcast joke wow you feel like a big internet man and I'm here, just bleeding Wait, away is this and dying. Show,
2: why does this show feel so aggressive? Already? <laughs> What's going I don't on? Know. I have no idea. Have, do we need to have a heart to heart?
1: Not really. Matt was stuck in Connecticut. How could you not be pissed off and aggressive if you were stuck in Connecticut?
2: What's wrong with Connecticut? It seems like a nice I actually enough have place. No, I have
0: no nothing. Nothing against Connecticut. I, mean, I feel it's Hartford no New Jersey. is very similar to where I grew up. It's also very close to where I grew up. So, uh, nothing against Hartford. Yep. Dan,
2: my yeah. favorite. My favorite thing about Hartford is one of my favorite bands is a band called why uh are you guys familiar with why is that like spelled out or the letter w-h-y question mark in all caps i mean to be
0: honest either way wasn't gonna know who it was i don't know why i bothered asking great
2: well i'm glad you're not familiar with it forget about forget i just told you about it because i'm gonna make it a happy ending at some point but uh there's this amazing band that i discovered i was once driving on spring break from college to upstate maine to go into the woods mm-hmm. and do woods things. And while we were driving through, first of all, I used to do this thing in college and high school where we were going on a long road trip. I would leave at like 10 p.m. like local time and basically drive through the night to get to wherever our location was because there's no traffic, there's no delays of any kind, totally predictable driving. So we were driving through Hartford, Connecticut at like 1 a.m. or some some insane time and mm-hmm. we picked up one of the college radio stations uh in hartford and they were playing this music that i it was unlike any music i'd ever heard before in my entire life and they played a block three songs in a row and by the time that block was over we were out of range of the of the uh station and could no longer hear it but those three songs were my introduction to Y, who's now one of my favorite bands and it's my favorite way i've ever been introduced to a band so thanks connecticut So we got a lot we could talk about this week. I mean, I I personally am down to have one episode of basically this being a bad movie podcast. And we just talk about the room and then we just get it out of our system because, you know, I could talk about it for a long time. And If we just commit and say this is the episode where we talk about it, we can table other discussions possibly. Um, That is okay with me. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay, great. I'll just I'll, I'll ignore these other things I wrote down then and we'll just dive right in. So we discussed this briefly last week on the show. Maybe not that briefly. It felt brief, but, you know, time flies when you're having fun talking about your favorite bad movie. So we talked about it briefly. One of our listeners uh, was reminded of the of the room by our podcast and wrote a thoughtful blog post about how the room made him basically abandon his dream of being a creative person for a living and instead become a lawyer. Because of how horrifying a reality being a creative person can be. <laughs> and uh, and since then, Matt, who had not watched The Room as of last week, has not only watched it, but has also fallen down the YouTube hole of... The interviews with the creator Tommy Rousseau and is now reading the tell-all book about the movie's creation, "The Disaster mm-hmm. Artist." So, first of all, Matt, uh, welcome to my world. I'd like to, I'd like Thank to you. greet you. Thank you. And I feel uh, like there's
0: a theme emerging. Like, oh, Matt obsessively did a thing this week. Is this a theme emerging in the podcast, or in your life, or what? It's emerging in the podcast. This has been a consistent theme in my life throughout my life. It's not a bad thing. It's becoming more evident that this is happening every week.
2: I have, I have a question. Do you ever do you ever have these like obsessive things, but they're like Something that's like really good for you. Like you ever like this week I'm eating every vegetable or, uh, you know, this week I'm going to drink six gallons of
1: water. That sounds Does that awesome. ever happen. That sounds absolutely terrible.
0: Maybe in the way that I've learned something, like I've learned a new skill, but not in the way that I've significantly improved my health or something.
2: Hmm. OK, good. that was just that was just a side note. I was just curious as to yeah. the scope. Yeah. So
1: uh, and and Dan, did you have did you have time to watch it? No, I can. I could not find it. And what I had found out is that there is no digital distribution of the movie. So you have to acquire it through DVD or something like that. And I just didn't have the time to be able to get it and get it shipped and watch it. That's okay, because I think it's actually important that we have somebody here who
2: is not deep in this hole. Because if if not for that, we would probably say things that nobody who hasn't seen this movie would get. Yeah. And we would, we would not realize it. So, Dan, you are here to keep us in check. To make sure that this doesn't get too out of hand. Okay. Uh, so first of all, I mean, I, I talked briefly about my feelings about the room on the last episode, and we'll return we'll to them, I'm sure. But Matt, what did you what did you, what did did you, you feel, man? I watched it
0: with Susie, my girlfriend Susie, and she she was not prepared and, for and what it was going to be. Your relationship
2: is now over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think she was prepared as to what it was supposed to be or what she was getting into. And she did leave at some point. So it scared her away, but also I think I, I was also watching it late at night, so there's, an, there's a reasonable excuse for walking out of the room.
2: I am so impressed. Just beside it
0: being the worst movie. I am so
2: impressed that she could walk away from that. It's like it's like seeing two trains barreling towards each other on the same track for 99 minutes yeah. and then walking away, just <laughs> leaving that <laughs> what, to happen. What happens at the end? Are
0: they going to crash into each other? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll no, that would make too much sense. Instead,
2: the trains kind of get tangled up a little bit, and they go outside on the porch, and they come back inside, and they go outside on the porch again. One train just killed itself, and the other one stopped. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. There's going to be spoilers in this episode, people. If you haven't seen The Room, the Citizen Kane of bad movies, I don't, think, you don't want to spoil... To be honest, I don't
0: think you can spoil The Room. I don't think there's any way it's not about the ending it's about everything in between it's about the journey the room is life right andy
2: yeah no it is i, I mean i could spoil it for you by telling you all the great stuff in the disaster artist book before you get to read it which is that's that's the real meaty good stuff of the room oh it it's is like the story okay of well don't ruin that for me i'm, I'm
0: halfway through and i'm definitely gonna finish it within a day so you are halfway through yeah
2: you're halfway through the whole book yes how big is this book I mean, Art? it's a, it's a normal length
0: book. I was told to get it as an audio book because he does the impression of Tommy Wiseau, so I did that. And he does he does a spot on impression. You kind of forget that well, he's it's not that
2: hard. <laughs> he's,
0: but you kind of forget that he's doing an impression, and you just think you're listening to Tommy Wiseau for a second. I enjoy that.
2: That's crazy. <laughs> Hi, doggy. <laughs> That's oh, the best <laughs> scene. There's so many best scenes. So I watched the movie. You're halfway through, wow. and it's
0: pretty hard. Like I know, maybe maybe not fair coming from me, but like it's pretty hard not to get obsessed with who is this guy? Where did he come from? What is his background? How did he earn six million dollars that he's willing to spend on this weird pursuit? Six million
2: bucks. He spent a really? lot of money shooting this, Dan. And if you watched it, you would never know because the money was spent on ridiculous things. For for example. He shot the movie in both digital and analog format simultaneously. There were like two cameras pointed at every scene and okay. they only ever used one of the footages, but he like had all this extra equipment, which he also bought, by the way, instead of renting, which is what and he does. hired he rent- two
0: crews to do it.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. So he shot okay. the movie and the result <laughs> looks
2: like a bad soap opera. Well, the
0: re will also because of that, everything is slightly off center because there's one camera on the right and one camera on the left. And so oh. the entire movie is a little bit off. I mean the entire movie is a lot off <laughs> yeah. but it's
1: also a little bit. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I guess it is a little But off. I'm
0: completely mm. fascinated with who who this guy is that is completely committed to his vision. He's he yeah. I don't know how he made his money, but based on like having gotten halfway through this book about his life, like I think he is a genuine guy. I don't think he's a drug dealer. Worth I don't this, think he's a oh no.
2: no, yeah, no. I think he's I think he's the real deal, which is what makes it so good. I think I don't think you could fake this. Is what it comes down to. And it, there's no grand reveal in the book as to how exactly he made his money. It's not like anyone knows for sure, I guess. But it seems pretty clear that he basically did like some import export stuff and like imports stuff from Asia at a low price and resells it somehow. He imports uh, like
0: fake jeans and resells them in yeah. So in, okay, I so mean, he's, I, I bought so, his right. underwear
2: that I'm sure he marked up an insane amount just because it has his name on the sort of waistband mm-hmm. that he ordered, you know, in in mass from some factory somewhere. Yeah, wow.
0: So he's a mystery; nobody knows quite how he made his money, but he's completely sincere when he when you see him in interviews. Like he, the facade remains, or like if the idea that he even thinks that this could be a bad movie. I'm not even I'm not clear on if he's broken through that barrier and he's in denial
1: or if he just hasn't gotten there yet or if he never ever ever will so the basic idea is that he's some random business guy turned idiot savant filmmaker that
2: basically i mean so so dan here's the deal he's got like a weird uh vocal affectation slash accent but insists that he is american through and through Mm -hmm. and that it's offensive to ask anybody uh where they're from if you hear an accent in their voice which it is offensive, actually. He's right about that. Uh, but uh, but it's, uh, it's clear that he's like, uh, doesn't, it seems from the way he answers those questions that he has some past he wants to ignore or forget about. Uh, he has no family ties anybody is aware of. Uh, no one's ever met or seen anybody in his, that he's related to. Uh, he has a large amount of money and owns multiple buildings like in downtown San Francisco.
1: Oh, that's terrifying.
2: Yeah, and he <laughs> used to be he used to be uh the this this guy that used to like be the street performer basically. He had like a, a weird act with birds that he would perform down at like Fisherman's Wharf and he would just go out and like do the street performer thing every day. Somewhere between that and where he is now, he made a bunch of money and made this ridiculous movie with his own money. Uh and and yeah, the the reason the movie is so amazing, Dan, is because there is no other way it could conceivably happen. Like if you if you weren't mm. Tommy Wiseau, if you weren't this totally off the wall, like completely dedicated, totally earnest guy that somehow made an insane amount of money, if any of those things didn't didn't fall in line, this could never have happened. And I'm sure there've been plenty of bad movies that have tried to been made, but never quite made it because one of those things weren't wasn't in place.
0: That's true. If there were, if there were any other circumstance, it would be like if someone else were funding the movie, they'd see the dailies and shut it down immediately. If it were somebody with slightly less confidence, they'd see the dailies and shut it down immediately. If it were somebody who had a little bit more skill, it wouldn't seem so out of left field. If it were maybe somebody who had some Mm -hmm. sort of understanding of their cultural context or even just, like, how human beings interact with each other, it would probably make sense. Like, every single thing has to come
1: together in order for this to exist and not be shut down immediately. Quick question. Sure. Um, like, is it is this one of is this an example where like he was literally in control with the entire vertical, like from production up into distribution? Like, did he is he in control of all of it, or like is this distributed through somebody else? The or, like, short the answer deal? is
0: yes. Like, he seems to talk a lot about producers and the people behind the movie, but I think that is a lie, so that he can do what he want. He can do whatever he wants, and then blame someone else when he when somebody does something he doesn't like like he'll say oh well we had to fire the main actor because the producers don't like him which means he doesn't like
2: them he doesn't want to have to say i don't like you you're fired it's clear these are invented producers these are he is he is this group of people but he wants to have this like facade of uh this illusion of some sort of powerful group of people that he's representing um yeah, yeah i mean he's in control of everything Dan, because nobody would have agreed to work on it <laughs> with him otherwise um, yeah. the guy that wrote the book the disaster artist who was the co-star, I guess you would say, of the movie, probably the second uh, primary role to to Tommy. So he saw it, also, if it wasn't clear, Dan, he also acted in his own movie. He was the main character, yeah. the yeah. director, the writer, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so the guy that wrote the movie, like, or that co-starred with him, uh, you know, the first part of the book is about why on earth he agreed to do this and basically, like, uh, Tommy became obsessed with him, thought he was perfect for the role, and offered him some insane amount of money uh, that is not disclosed in the book, but enough money that he was like, okay, I will do this horrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh and All before right. that this guy was not an actor he was trying to become an actor and he had done some modeling gigs basically uh and he was still the one with the most acting experience of anybody that was basically on set uh which is remarkable and also okay.
0: basically acted as the translator because this guy seems to write both write and speak incoherently at times or like kind of have his own language that you don't quite understand until you know him for a period of time. So this guy was not only an actor, but bef- but before he was an actor, he was, I think they were calling him an intern on the set, but he seemed to be translating everything that the director was saying to the other humans, which I think was yeah. obviously a pretty important role. Like if that were in place, I don't think anyone could have communicated with, with the director to the point of actually getting stuff done without being fired or something. Like somebody had to be around to make it happen.
2: I, I think it might be worth doing doing my best Elliot Kalen impression, just kind of trying to go through the plot of the movie for Dan and also for the benefit of anybody listening who has not seen it. Because yeah. um, it's important to understand, I think, why this movie, I think, is special to me in a, in a weird way. And so, so the plot is uh, Tommy plays a character named Johnny, who is a uh, wealthy uh, person working at a bank uh who is in love with uh, a woman named Lisa and they are uh living together and uh, i guess engaged to be married uh future wife future wife that's right engaged they're, they're engaged in the beginning of the movie and basically um Lisa is a conniving backstabbing uh like uh, woman who is interested in other men specifically uh Johnny's best friend Mark Uh, played by Greg Sestero, the the author of The Disaster Artist. And throughout the course of the movie, (laughs) there's a bunch of weird non-sequitur scenes that are really unimportant to the plot. But basically, uh, Lisa cheats on Johnny with Mark, and Johnny finds out at a big party, and then kind of goes crazy and destroys his his bedroom, destroys the room. Oh, Ah! yes and he then uh shoots himself in the head, and everybody realizes after he is dead that he was actually great, and they all regret being so horrible to him um well, okay and,
1: that's um that, that is actually more of a plot than I assumed would ever exist in this film yeah. well, well i mean yeah. being very generous <laughs> in that <laughs> got it he cut he cut <laughs> out
2: a lot of nonsense to get you there. Yeah, I mean, if you imagine that, but then also there's, like, weird scenes that don't make any sense, that have no relationship to it. Like, if you were to, like, edit this differently, you could make probably a sensical, though not good-looking or well-written, uh, like, 10-minute YouTube video. Um, instead, it's a hour-and-a-half long, like, nightmare-scape. Um, yeah. But, but the thing the re- is so important to me is that it seems obvious to me, and to many other people, I think, also suspect this, that... Tommy is writing and acting the role of Johnny as in a way that is very um, very much about himself uh, and he, he doesn't he does not ever admit to this. He, he says he's just made up these characters and they're great and so important but um, it, it seems like it's a little bit self-reflective. and so what we're actually seeing when we watch this horrible movie is we're seeing this man's vision for who he is and in in the movie, Johnny is this benevolent, a wonderful, caring, uh, loving man who does dramatic, uh, romantic gestures and and gives money to people when they need it and hosts a strange orphan boy that lives in the apartment building for reasons that are only vaguely explained. Um, <laughs> I think a mentally handicapped orphan boy as well. I, wow. I was, okay. is, is, I, I'm not hmm, sure if he's actually supposed to be. I don't think the character is written <laughs> that way. I think that is what happened when this
1: guy tried to read the lines that were written for him um oh so now okay 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 now just to like i've only seen two things i think both were on youtube there was only like two little bits one where apparently two people were talking tommy and some guy there was a football this, involved and yeah were, yeah there's, there was just, a lot of football yeah. throwing there's a lot yeah, of
0: i think the, his okay. idea it, is that football is like the most american thing so he tries to incorporate yeah, it into no, exactly. a lot of it. scenes got it to kind of hammer the point
2: home that he's to American, prove that he's American throughout it. He, yeah, like okay. He, so he'll just that drop
0: one. it in for no reason, all over the place. He'll just throw a football in there to be clear, okay. and
2: and okay. to be clear, the way that he throws and catches the football is alien. <laughs> <It> is
1: <laughs> yes,
2: in, in in inhuman and indescribable that someone would throw and catch a football like this. It looks so creepy because he's he's a very fit. Also, people who actually throw and catch a football stand more
0: than one foot away from each other and attempt to actually throw it a distance. They don't just yeah.
1: lightly toss it back and forth.
0: Anyway, his yeah. idea of, of playing catch is a little bit
1: off, but he's yeah. trying. Yeah, so there was there was that scene, and then there's another one where he like dramatically says, like, Lisa, you're breaking my heart. You're like those, taking those me
0: apart.
1: Oh, there we go. Yeah. No, it's, okay. you're tearing me rhymed. apart. But that, that's you're a tearing me story. apart. Yep. Anyways, yeah, that's the only two things I've seen. So I'm assuming after hearing the plot, I basically know the film at this point. Oh, I think you know, right? right? I think you know. Okay. Okay.
2: So, Matt, I'm confused because The Room is so bad in so many ways, and yet here I'm I'm looking at this website, and it tells me that lynda.com was founded in 1995, which is well before the making and release of The Room. So why? Why didn't Tommy Rousseau go to lynda.com to make better movies. I mean, I guess none of the courses would apply to him, right?
0: I'm going to assume that he didn't start because he didn't have a free 10-day trial. Obviously, he had no resources to sign up for this thing with money, so he probably needed some sort of incentive, some sort of, like url that he could go to in order to get a 10-day trial like let's say he were listening to the show and he found out that this episode is brought to you by lynda.com
2: wait is he not listening to this show
0: the online learning platform with over 3,000 on on-demand courses to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills such as filmmaking so for a free 10-day trial visit lynda.com otg that's
2: lynda.com otg and don't be tommy Wusseau. Be better than that.
0: Be better. Or worse. (laughs) Because lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your, they say Photoshop skills, but let's say, for the purposes of this ad read, your filmmaking skills, your green screen technique skills. Go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind.
2: To be fair, Photoshop skills would have come in handy, too, if you've seen the horrific movie poster that came out for The Room. They could have have used Mm -hmm. some touch-up on that. Maybe
0: retouch that left eye just a little bit. (laughs) There are absolutely photo retouching courses on lynda.com. So I guess we're saying that the course that we recommend is green screen techniques for video and photography. Yes. That way, if you decide to construct your own set or a roof, even if you have a roof available to you, you're going to do a better job putting in the city of San Francisco.
2: For example, that's just like just uh, just
0: just like a hypothetical off the cuff, just (laughs) random
2: example, making it up right. Yeah, unrelated. Just, you know, maybe so, Mr.
0: Rousseau with a lynda.com membership. You can watch and learn from top experts. For example, people who know how to make movies who are passionate (laughs) about teaching. You can stream thousands of video courses on demand and learn on your own schedule. Like, say, you're a vampire and you sleep during the day. You can learn at your own pace. Courses are structured so you can watch them from start to finish and consume them in bite sized pieces. Browse each course transcript, like for example, let's say it's hard for you to listen when people are speaking English and you speak a different language and it's easier for you to read it. They have transcripts and you can search for an answer and skip to that point in the video. You can also take notes and refer to them later.
2: I'll record everything.
0: You can download tutorials and watch them on the go, including on your iOS or Android device. You're my favorite customer. You are lynda.com's favorite customer. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training of hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to visit lynda.com OTG and sign up for your free 10-day trial.
2: So yeah, I mean, the reason the movie is compelling to me... because the first time you watch it you're like wow that was a bad movie and parts of it are very funny because of how bad it is and it's also in this like strange uncanny valley because of so many things because because of the 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 weird thing matt mentioned about it being filmed with two cameras and it being slightly off center so like there's something off, and you you don't know why when you watch it you don't immediately know like oh everything's to the left you just know (laughs) that it's wrong and, and you can't really put put a word to it uh and then, I think I mentioned this last week, but part of what's really compelling to me on a on a high level is just you become so aware of all of the steps that are necessary to make a movie because you weren't aware of them until they were done as badly as they're done in this movie uh like like i I never had considered the uh idea of blocking in a movie like where the characters are standing in a relationship to each other until in the room randomly this character Denny who by the way is not not Danny it's Denny it's a weird name. Uh in the middle of a conversation with another character just sits on the floor uh cross-legged and then continues to have a conversation and about 45 seconds later also stands behind up. Behind a again. chair.
0: He sits behind a yes. chair that yes.
2: is blocking behind the camera.
1: Okay. Uh literally so, like, blocking. like
2: why that was a stage direction I am not a, I'm not I have no idea but like it's it's weirdly transparent towards to a creative process and as we know from the show I'm kind of obsessed with thinking and talking about and learning about the way things are made and the process behind them and so this is like totally transparent about that because you can see everything happening and going wrong Hmm. but then on a deeper level once you've watched it enough times and and learned more about Tommy Rousseau and read this book it's kind of profoundly sad in a more like authentically human way than any scripted sad movie could actually be maybe no,
0: I think you're right because it, it's – you're not witnessing this the heartbreak of a character. You're witnessing the heartbreak of an actual human being as you go yeah. on this yeah. journey of their failure. But
2: the, that wants nothing more than to make a successful big-time Hollywood movie. And, and once and you
0: learn about him, you kind of want that too. Don't you mm. want him to make a successful oh, movie? Oh, Yeah. Like, once I got over the fact that well, I don't no. think he's doing anything evil, I don't think this is a lawn, uh, a money laundering scheme, I think this is all totally genuine, and I do now really think that I do want him to be successful.
1: Mm. But
2: it's, hard okay. for, it's hard for me to, like, say that because it seems inconceivable that he could actually be successful at this, which sounds like a very mean thing to say, but it, there's no even, like, spark of... Any hope in anything he's done? That you to believe he could do this even competently. So, so it's weird for me. Like I, I don't wish for him to make that. I, I wish him happiness in making things, no matter how bad they may be.
0: Well, here when I say I wish that he could be successful, it's not that I wish. Well, here's the thing that's weird. On paper, he is. Like if you if you'd never watched the movie and just saw all the results, you'd be like, he set out to make a movie. He spent this amount of money on it. Here's all the money that he made back. He continually tours with it he gets to talk about it all the time he gets to meet his fans like all the end result of making a good movie he kind of has in his life there's obviously the downside where he gets made fun of but when i say i wish he could be successful like i want him to make a actual good movie like i would love for him to like Achieve like figure out all the stuff, like get over the hurdles and actually
1: achieve those things.
0: I don't. Again, I don't think it's possible either. But that's what I yeah. want to happen.
1: That's the end result. That'd of this be whole amazing. Thing. Well, I, I mean, like a larger scale thing, I guess, is Michael Bay. There's a lot of people who make fun of Michael Bay, but at the, at the end of the day, he makes a shit ton of money, and a lot of people go see his movies. But he does get pretty often panned for making things that are just basically explosions over and over again.
2: Well, I I mean, maybe a better example is somebody like, I don't know, like Miranda July, who also gets mocked to oblivion. Her movies are never as popular as Michael Bay, and probably some of them made even less money than The Room has. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some people would say that their kind of tone and style is weird and uncanny and inhuman, and it represents not good acting and not good writing. Um, But, like... Everything you described, Matt, like the way in which he has been successful on paper, that's the only fair way we have to evaluate that, right? Like, isn't everything else subjective, kind of?
0: Kind of. I think that it is. I I I want to wrap my brain around a world where that's not true, but it's really hard to know. get down to the get down to facts and be like, "All right, what is the end result of this thing? What's that <laughs> that sidebar on every movie's Wikipedia page? What does that look like?"
2: It's funny because in some ways the room makes it more clear than any other piece of art that everything else is totally subjective, right? Like because the guy that created this is appears for all intents and purposes, to be in this disillusionment uh, and can point to all of these things you just pointed to, the fact that he can still tour with the movie and people come out and see it, the fact there are huge fans of it, like myself and maybe you, Matt, uh, the fact that uh, he's made you know a reasonable amount of money back for how much he invested in the movie, all these things um, he can point to and say, well, look, it clearly, it clearly is a good movie, and sure, I have critics, everyone has critics. Um, so in some ways, it, it kind of is... Pointing to the idea that everything is subjective and who's to say what is a good or bad movie, but at the same time, when you are watching that movie, there is no doubt, even if you know nothing about how you make films, that that it is wrong. <laughs> like it, it is, it is not a good movie. It cannot be a good movie. And the only thing I can point to to like say for sure that's the case is that everything that Tommy seems to have meant uh, when he, like intended to communicate as an artist none of that hits at all. Uh, and instead what hits is all this other stuff that it seems almost certain he did not intend, uh, which is this weird transparency into the process, this weird uh, humor, this weird uh, profound sadness about the human condition and the the life of a creative person um, and not like this dramatic love story, which is what it's supposed to be. The
0: thing that's really difficult about it, and actually the 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 medium essay that one of our listeners wrote about wanting to go to law school, is... Uh, we, we. That's actually on the subreddit, and we'll post it in the, sh- in the show notes if you want to read it. But the basics is that, like, he kind of couldn't figure out if he was that Tommy Wusso character in, like, ignoring his teachers and wanting to write the things that he wanted to write. And the thing
2: that's difficult and, about and it... I think more importantly, <laughs> he said that he, you could never know.
0: You can't know.
2: You can never know.
0: And so the thing... The thing that is difficult about it is, like, in order to... I think we talk a lot about the idea that in order to make something great, you can't, you can't just make like the two and a half men thing. You can't just make the thing that's for everybody. Um, And also in order to make something great, like I feel like we have this idea that, that great films are complex. Like if you, you could make like an instructional video where like your intentions are very clear. We want to teach you this thing. And maybe that's like a really easy way to get your intentions across. And maybe you can telegraph everything. And then we make fun of people for like, adding in a character that's just like pure exposition, right? Like, oh, well, you could have been, you could have been treated your audience like they were smarter and you don't need to be that obvious about the thing, like have a little bit more tact. I feel like the movies that we point to do these things subtly. And I think because they do these things subtly, they probably are a little bit more open to interpretation. I'm sure there are people that take them the wrong way as opposed to a movie that's very obvious, beats you over the head with it, probably hits a joke about someone being hit in the head with a frying pan. That is not considered great, and that is maybe one of the f- one of the the few examples of movies that are actually really getting their intentions across. Like a stupid comedy that you laugh at. The point was that you laugh at it, and the jokes are dumb. As opposed to well, you I, have like I, a maybe a more vague feeling about it, or you you felt a more complex emotion.
2: Well, but but I, I think I you seem to be attributing like intent to something that is simple your intent can be complex your intent no, your intent can, be can actually
0: stir up of course it can be complex but w- but what i'm saying is when the intent is complex i think the end result is that um people come away with a lot of different emotions and which is which is fine and that but then it's Sometimes really hard to pin design? down what yeah yeah sure it is absolutely but then is it It becomes really hard to pin down what the intent actually was like at that point are you just Tommy so again saying like Oh yeah, it's a dark comedy. Or like, you know, some, some like after the fact acknowledgement of what your film is, or like after the fact apologizing for what your film is, because this is the way that it's been perceived as opposed to like very clearly stating your intentions and then following through on those things. If you, if you're, if the feeling is more vague, then you can always after the fact be like, well, that's what I intended to do. Or, and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to pan that that assessment or saying like nobody could have ever gone into their filmmaking process with those intentions and have those be genuine, but it does make the end result very easy. And we could all end up being that Tommy Rousseau character film or creation in general.
2: Uh, so I'm curious to ask you, Matt does having experienced the room and thought about it as you have for the past week, mm-hmm. does it make you feel better or worse about being a creative person?
0: A little bit of both. Like it makes me feel oh, worse. yeah! What in that a political answer. And it makes me feel worse in that <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it 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 really it makes me worry that anymore. I don't know what is up and down. Um, mm-hmm. and it makes me feel better because it's really obvious when someone gets it wrong. It makes me feel better because it's really easy to tell what 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 was supposed to be happening. Well, maybe not easy to tell what was supposed to be happening. It's very easy to tell that the intentions were not nailed and a lot of people could do that better. Like it would be really easy to do that better.
2: There's something very interesting to me about this, this like Valley. Um, So if you picture like, you know, put movies on a, a, a quad plot of where one axis is the like quality of the film by what, by whatever standards you want to give it. Right. Like, the 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 most brilliantly shot, brilliantly written, brilliantly acted movie is all the way at the sort of far right, and the room is at the far left. Uh, and then on the uh, the Y-axis put, like, your enjoyment of the movie, right? Like, there are some movies that are so bad that they're just terrible. You get nothing out of them. They're, they're a mm-hmm. waste of your time and energy, and it's just a bad movie to the point that you didn't enjoy it. Uh, and then The Room is king, for me, of these type of movies that are so bad that you get something totally different out of it than... Maybe you were expecting to, or maybe the creator intended, but I, I really enjoy those movies oftentimes more than the movies that are excellent to me by all sort of measured ways. And the thing that makes me very interested in this is that I've never experienced this in any other creative media there's not i don't like it's not so bad it's good music that i'm like oh yeah this music is really bad i'm listening to it all the time you could argue Uh, that there is
0: that like i'm sure there are people that hate listen like bands like lmfao or something where they're just like so stupid and goofy like i don't really i don't get enjoyment out of that maybe that's because that's meant to be ironic but like
2: tang of music like it where (sighs) it's like kind of really off the wall and over the top and self-referential and all that fun stuff but it's not like you tried really hard to make good music. You made really, really bad music, but we still like it for other reasons.
0: Do you know about Daniel Johnson? Johnson? I don't, know. The Devil in Daniel Johnson was a documentary. Um, I don't mm. think he makes really bad music, but I think it falls somewhere on that spectrum of, like, he doesn't have a good singing voice. Everything's always yeah. out of tune. But there's, like, a sincere emotion behind it. And, like, he's this guy who, he might be autistic. I'm not really sure what his disability is but he definitely has something and he might be schizophrenic because he's always talking about kind of demons and people who are out to get him very paranoid song lyrics but i actually think he's a really good example of of somewhere on that scale from intention to well i don't know i i I don't quite know how to put that because he he has another he's another example of like cult following people who genuinely enjoy him and he, mm-hmm. I do think he maybe succeeds in his intentions of doing something. I think that's what's different about between him and Tommy Rousseau. But he definitely doesn't have the kind of technical skills and like he de- does not deliver a polished product ever. Um, it's yeah. usually poorly recorded, hard to deal with, hard to listen to, but there's a genuine nature to the songs that people
1: really latch on to. An equal example from that is Wesley Willis. Like, he really just recorded things on this really shitty keyboard, and it was with beats and, like, with some random thing that he would play, and, it, like, he would talk about beating Spider-Man's ass. Like, the the quality of it was substantially lower compared to most pop music, but he was the same thing where he had a cult following, and it was one of those things that, like, it was so bad it was so that it was good, and that people appreciated it for what it was, and the guy who created it felt like he was making good music so like he he thought that he was making something that was great um if you were ask somebody who listened mostly just to pop music would say that it's terrible but there was a definitely a group of people that appreciated it for what it was
2: hey, i haven't listened to either of these people so i can't say for sure but there's also like a somewhat related thing which is people that you know kind of eschew the the in vogue sort of techniques or style or aesthetic uh, of a certain medium and make something that if you were to say like, Oh, cinematically the shots are poorly composed or uh, you know, the, the writing is poor, but it's still a good piece of art. And and the example I can point to is like Joe Swanberg, uh, some of his early movies, uh, which, you know, he, he's notorious for writing scripts that have people speaking in ways humans actually speak with filler words, with Mm -hmm. not expressing the ideas clearly. Uh, with you know, like mis saying words and mispronouncing things, uh, which is something you don't find in most scripts. And he shot his own movies like with a handy cam or something, uh, and they're all grainy and like poor quality. Um, but that to me is more like uh, you know the mountain goats uh, than it is of something that's where like they're intentionally recording things on like cassette tapes because they want to uh, sort of get away from the super high fidelity of modern audio recordings. But they're still actually, and he. And he sings weirdly. I
0: would frame those movies differently. Just, I mean, just to clarify, like, Joe Swanberg, Mark Duplass, like, those kind of mumblecore directors that are shooting on very low budgets. I would actually say those are, like, like really, really designed movies in that they, like, they pick... They don't have any money, and so they pick the specific things that are they're going to base their movie around and what they can and can't afford to be a part of them. Like, for example, The Puffy Chair by, Mark the, by the Duplass brothers, like one of those early Mumblecore movies. They basically base it around, like, we know that we can afford two chairs uh, so we can... Sorry, spoiler alert, but we know that we'd be able to burn one of them for one of the scenes and then have the other one for the rest of the shooting the movie. Like we know we have a warehouse that we can use. We know that we have like two apartments that we can use. And we have a van. So we're going to write our movie based on all of those things that we know we can get based on our budget. And we're going to create a movie and the shooting, the like, the quality of the the camera is going to be less important because it's about that we've designed our script around this budget. So I would I would frame that a little uh, bit differently. I, and they're like, well,
2: to be clear, I'm saying like, I, I love Joe Swanberg's movies. Like, I think they're great. And, and what I'm saying, no, is, it's not
0: taking away your enjoyment of it. But I'm just saying that's I think that's more what that movement is, is about like, basing your film around the
2: budget and designing for that. It, it, my point, though, is that if someone were to look at that without an understanding of the history, an understanding of the budget behind it, they might just say, oh, this is a poorly made movie mm-hmm. because of these things. I, I don't recognize some other movies that I know are well made. Right. Uh, and and yet, it's not a poorly made movie. I, I, I'm asking basically if these music artists you're referencing are just... Making something in a different way than people are used to. Uh, therefore, mm-hmm. some people would recognize it as bad or totally crazy. Uh, or if they are truly failing as gloriously and as bravely as Tommy Wiseau is, and people are actually enjoying it.
0: They're not well, failing. So, like, I, if I'm using yeah. Daniel Johnson as an example, he's not failing. He's just using whatever he has available to him, and he doesn't have the resources to get more. Like, he doesn't. Yeah, he, he, sounds, recently, he sounds like
2: Mumble Court to me, then. Not so bad it's good
0: no he's not so bad it's good he's probably closer to mumblecore but the qualities of it are so unrecognizable to yeah i think i guess you're right in that way like the qualities of the music are so unrecognizable to people that it's like really hard to listen like you can definitely the audio quality is really bad there's no doubt about that and the reason is because (laughs) he just had the only thing available to him was the tape recorder so
2: that's why there's a lot of mountain goats albums i wish sounded better because i like the songs but (laughs) i just can't listen to that (laughs) That weird, horrible sort of recording quality. Um, no, and I, I, I don't mean to spend too much time like trying to create this analogy, uh, but there's just in no other media do I enjoy listening to somebody totally fail or watching somebody fail or reading a book that was a total failure at what it was what it was intended to be. Uh, like it seems unique to me in movies uh, that there's all sorts of extra accidental stuff, and I wonder if it's just because it's something that's always interested me a little bit about the difference between making a movie and making a uh, a book. And this is something I come back to a lot because I, I like to, I think science fiction specifically is way, way better in written form than it is in television or movies. Mm-hmm. Because if you're making a thing in a visual medium, you have to put all of the stuff on the screen. Like you have to have some kind of setting. You have to address the color of the light. You have to address all these things people are going to see just in the background. And so often that's where these the illusion of some totally uh, sort of foreign possible future or like crazy idea of what the world might be fall apart because you're like, oh, it's supposed to be the future, but they still have regular outlets uh, <laughs> or like there's a normal light bulb there. Like what, what is going on? Uh, whereas in, in writing, you only address the things that you care to address. And if you leave something out, then it's up to the reader to fill it in however they like. Uh, and it, more importantly, it's not going to become a point where someone can start to sort of uh, see the seams on this world you're creating. Um, now, I, I wonder if all of this extra stuff that just ends up in a movie, because it, it has to be there, right? You had to film it somewhere, and, and in Tommy Gusso's case with The Room, they built just, like, overly elaborate but terrible sets uh, and filmed there instead of filming on, like, actual buildings they could have gotten access to. Uh, like... Everything was filmed on a set. Be- Apparently he owns two, That so that could have been easy. Well, it, there's actually a part in the book, uh, this is a small spoiler map, but it's not really a great one, uh, where where Tommy is walking around San Francisco with with Mark, who or I always call him Mark, with Greg, who plays Mark in the movie, and uh, he takes him up to the rooftop of some warehouse he owns, and, and he's like, dude half the scenes in our movie take place on a rooftop. We built this horrible green screen rooftop set. Why do we not film them here on this actual rooftop you own? And Tommy was like, oh, it's because Hollywood does it that way. You have to have a set. Big time movie stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I I wonder, this is a really, man, that was long winded. I I wonder if it's because there's all this extra stuff that ends up in a movie that, you know, you can really work very hard to pay attention to and and be in control of, but you have to like really try and wrangle that. I wonder if all that extra stuff makes it, a medium that is particularly open to misinterpretation or other interpretation because there's other things going on that are not something that was explicitly put there by you as the auteur.
0: That's true. That is very unique about filmmaking. Like I'm thinking in... In music, you can kind of isolate sound. You can decide not to include things. Like, you're only hearing the things that you've decided to place in it. In writing, that is true. In design, we have this whole aesthetic of, like, removing anything that isn't supposed to be there. Or, sorry, not aesthetic, a philosophy of removing anything that's not supposed to be there. And in film, like, unless you're shooting on a white background or, like, green screening everything, you kind of have this inherent atmosphere, uh, background, setting.
2: And it's not just that, but it's also like... Which even
0: even plays don't have that. Even a play wouldn't have that because you're kind of, you know, you're on a stage, you're in a black box, you're building the set, uh, everything you wanted it to be. But yeah, for film, because you're pointing a camera at a thing, there is a kind of... I guess we're just... I guess in a way we're kind of used to talking about filming in like an actual room or something. Obviously, you could build a set and just not build anything, but that aesthetic is rarely used. You'll see it occasionally, but, but pretty rare. But there's rare. so
2: much more to it than that. Like, not having... It has to be an atmosphere, which I think is a big part of it. You know, also the fact that you may have this perfect vision for who a character might be in your head as the person writing a movie or something, and you, you're you never going to find the perfect person. You'll find somebody that's close enough, and there'll be things that are different that you didn't intend. And, okay, well, the person's a little bit taller than we wanted, we'll try and hide that, or the person's got the wrong sort of cheekbones, but it'll, it'll be fine. Uh, like, there's you always have to make compromises. There's so many compromises involved with, with making a film. And I think... Um the only thing you can kind of compare it to for me is photography, but even with photography, because you're only looking at like one still moment, you have so much more opportunity to control that moment than you do when you're, you know, trying to tell a story that's been written across a, a huge expanse of time. Um so I, 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 I've thought about that a lot just because I don't I'm I'm weirdly fascinated with my own fascination with movies that are bad. Because like why why do I like them? They're bad. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Dan, does this make you want to watch this movie, or does it make you want to stop recording this podcast with us forever? <laughs>
1: if I can get a copy of it, then I think I'll watch it. But I just like—I <laughs> don't know if it's worth the um, the effort of trying to go and purchase a physical copy, wait for it in the mail, and then like have a physical relic of this thing that I might just watch once. My friends bought me a a poster, uh,
2: an enormous poster of just Tommy Wiseau's face zoomed in. With the room and some horrible font on it, yeah. uh, and it's the most disturbing thing I own, and it's just buried in, a, in my oh, big flat. Folder. Is it that
1: um, the picture of him in that weird angle with him with the lazy eye? Um, that's him all <laughs> the time. And, uh, oh, and, okay. <laughs>
2: and and the weird angle, I think, is the is is the attempted normal angle. Um, yeah, it's that picture, and it's like all green. Yeah. Mm. Oh man, it's so bad. creepy as shit, man. That's the thing, like. The marketing was horrible for the movie. Like, there's nothing about this movie that went even that was even close to any good. Yeah, the, we haven't even, we haven't talked about the
1: score. The score is so. Is it like bad is it weird. like MIDI instruments or something?
2: Yes, it is. It is exactly that. Uh, it's like a like a fake MIDI organ. And and uh, as I understand it, I, I forget why I read this. So I could be misremembering or something. I believe that the entire movie was completely finished, uh, done, edited. Like completely decided and then Tommy just sent it off to this Russian guy and was like please make this score how he found this guy I have no idea uh, and this guy just like made some weird meaty score and, and, and like the dude clearly did not understand what was going on in the movie as no one can <laughs> like like how how do you write a score to a movie that is completely non nonsense yeah uh, so like there's all these weird moments where it's suspenseful and nothing suspenseful is happening and there's just like weird repeating theme uh, it like it's, oh every aspect of it. It's amazing.
0: I mean, I, li- I like drawing analogies to other things. So it helps me explain it. I can't figure out the design analogy to this
2: exactly. Like, be- because the medium is different in the way we described, like, you can't, you cannot fail in this way at design. Yeah. I, I don't think it's possible. It almost In make... the same way, that I don't think you can fail in this way, quit anything else.
0: Doesn't it make you want to see what that would be like if you could? kind
2: of yeah a little
0: bit like i want i want there to be enough like um odd
1: situations
0: in like the design process for that
1: to be able to happen uh could could it could it not be like a designer that put up something on the on the internet on their portfolio that was so terrible that somebody posted it on reddit and then that that designer believes that because it exploded on reddit that it was good like is that yeah it could be that but that is there are so many clear decisions about the
0: thing that they made, I, I would assume. Like, there's not the kind of random chance. Like, the example of there's this weird background shot of a spoon in the room because they needed family photos in the tables, but they didn't have time to replace the, the default photo that was in the, the picture frame. It just happened mm-hmm. to be pictures of mm-hmm. spoons. So there's all these weird yep. spoons in the backgrounds of some of these shots that are unexplained. And like, I don't know how you end up with something like that when you're when you're designing something, which is I mean, sometimes we describe the process of of a process of subtraction. But in reality, like you do have to add all those things first before you can start Mm -hmm. to subtract. And like maybe it's that you picked a weird stock photo as a placeholder and you never replaced it or something. But the decisions just feel far more conscious than those of this movie or any movie.
2: And the other thing I think is interesting is that the process of making a movie is inherently collaborative with many other people, and I think some of the most interesting moments come from seeing other presumably sane people read the lines that Tommy has written for them to read and see the way these other characters interact with this weird like lack of like clarity in who what they're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. like one one of the characters, Dan uh I don't remember his name. I'm not even sure if he has a name. Um, Dude, Matt, you yep. watched him more recently than I. The, the 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 couple uh where the lady is friends with Lisa and then the boyfriend with the spiky hair. Oh yeah uh, yeah yeah. What does he, he does have a, have a name
0: and I can't remember because it's very infrequently used. But he has a really great he has a really great blowjob
2: face. <laughs> oh my like, god. He I mean Dan this guy like as far as I can tell like he gets that it's a horrible movie and he's hamming <laughs> it up and. And like Tommy never realized this guy was like basically making fun of the lines he had written for oh, him oh. because he has no idea how to tell if someone's acting correctly or badly. Like I think so, he like, just
0: like crosses eyes for no reason and stuff.
2: Yeah, he he, he he does like a parody of a blowjob face in a scene where he's getting a blowjob. And by getting a blowjob, I mean I think this his lady's just rubbing chocolate over his <laughs> thing going. It's <This> a <laughs> weird chocolate oh scene. <laughs> and then there's another scene where he, uh, I guess it's kind of the same scene, where he he loses his underwear and he goes to Tommy to talk about, I guess Johnny's name, character's name, and he's like, uh, I, yeah, I lost uh, me underwear. <laughs> so he's like talking like, <laughs> a, like, a pirate. like a weird person. Yeah, and, and you know, <clears throat> other people are clearly trying to act and make the movie the drama it's supposed to be, but this guy, like out of nowhere is just like behaving like an idiot and like taking all the lines way too weirdly i think it's just because he he like knew it was bad and got away with hamming it up Uh, and and that's part of what makes it so great like tommy reading his own lines is just like a really bad actor reading really bad lines and that's something interesting about Mm -hmm. that but making all these other people because he has all this money he can force normal human beings to behave in this absolutely insane way is part of what makes it so great. So, so maybe the the design analogy is like somebody that runs a company that uh, it has the sort of vision that Tommy has uh, and the assets and money that to- Tommy has and, you know, hires graphic designers and people to do things for them and always picks the worst things and insists that they put a banana on that and, you know, d- do other weird things that make no sense. And, you know, still gets, other people to orchestrate these things for him because ultimately like Tommy can't edit film. He can't play all the characters. Uh, He wrote the script, but he had to be translated by somebody else into something intelligible to people. Um, So ultimately, like I think the, the triumph of it is him orchestrating people in this insane way more than it was like this singular act of creation. Wow.
1: So the, I, I guess the biggest thing I would love to know is how many acting careers were ruined by this movie.
2: None, because none of them had acting careers ahead of time.
1: Boom. Uh,
0: if anything, I think people got a little bit of notoriety from it, and they get to do things ironically now, maybe. That's but good. Nobody se- it didn't seem to destroy anybody. And also, the people who are in it seem to generally have a really good sense of humor about it. The fact that the guy wrote a whole book about it, he like obviously he gets it, and he's very willing to kind of play the role of the guy that was in that movie. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I will say some of the women have said that... Uh, Tommy was particularly creepy and inappropriate on set with them, which is not at all surprising given the movie after you've seen it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't think the movie did much harm to anybody. I give a sense they were paid pretty well and nobody's life was ruined because of it. I think it was generally just a weird, bad thing that happened that didn't really hurt anybody other than <laughs> yeah. everybody that watched it and didn't like it.
0: I think now what we have to do is we're going to have to do we should have to do some sort of experiment where we come up with a total nonsense direction and we start a like 99 designs project again, Ooh, or yeah. we, some sort of like Saul Wit style instructional piece that we deliver to someone else.
2: But here's the thing, we can't.
0: Like, but we might, maybe we have to find a person that can deliver a sincere, crazy direction. And we just have to be the facilitator's... Of getting that thing made,
2: I hear you I, I don't know if that's possible. I think we would we would inherently pollute it like the thing that's so amazing about this is that Tommy just burst into this world and then like <laughs> as as no parents that we could find and just like arrived in the United States but barely able to speak <laughs> English properly mm-hmm. and like made this happen of his own accord uh, which is part of the really amazing part of it
0: mm, we got to
2: execute on this somehow. a a
0: totally fucked up singular vision a like totally sincere horrifying singular vision it's got to happen somehow
1: uh okay so uh this happy ending is actually something that i came across yesterday um so it's still very very fresh for me yeah um it was a book that was gifted to me for my brother and I'm actually going to post the link into the chat so you can guys can check it out so I'm not big into books Uh, that's almost specifically why I went to art school because I could avoid reading and doing math
2: (laughs) (laughs) there's lots of books
1: at art school yeah picture books (laughs) bad advice from Dan
2: Yeah, Dan my concentration at art school was making books
1: I mean no there's one thing to make books there's another one to like read the words and I was into making the books (laughs) I I set type I don't read type Yeah. Yep. Um, so no, there was this book. Um, the title of it is anxiety as an ally. Uh, and it's actually written by somebody who I guess I can consider, uh, a coworker now. Um, his name is Dan Reichert. Uh, he works at giant bomb. He's a senior editor there. And I think this is his fourth book. Um, and I didn't even know that he wrote books to begin with. I thought he was just an editor, you know, for the, uh, for the website. Uh, but my brother sent this or bought it, had it sent to me. Um, I open it up and, and, uh, you know, I took a glance at the, like the back cover just to read what it was about and, uh, read it cover to cover last night, which is very rare for me. Cause I just, I don't sit down. I'm not the type to just sit down and just read. And I'm a very slow reader. So usually I just kind of don't get too committed, but read it cover to cover. And basically the whole premise is that, um, Dan, not me, the other Dan, uh, had suffers from, um. Uh, Uh, panic disorder and also just general anxiety uh, and with a little bit of OCD mixed in as well and it's him kind of um, documenting the past 12 years where he's gone through this uh, with his first panic attack being uh, 12 years ago on January 1st of uh, whatever uh, 2003 and documenting like uh, everything that he had gone through um, like how this had affected his work life, things in college, things with family and like step by step how he had started to overcome some of, um, uh, the symptoms. And sometimes like if he knew that he was going to have a panic attack, uh, how he would address it and like learning how to just live life with a little bit less anxiety. Um, which is really big for me on a lot of levels. One, because I kind of feel like it's a little bit closer to me because it's something that like, it's somebody that I work with and it's somebody who's in the same office as me and literally somebody who's, I think about 200 feet from me. I think that's as far as his desk is. And, Um, another thing is that like, that's that I haven't gone through stuff in the severity that he has, but I am definitely somebody who suffers from anxiety and depression. So for me to read this and like, read some of the stuff that he's gone through and how he's handled it is actually really big for me because I could see somebody else's perspective on how they've handled this stuff. And for me to say like, Oh, I've done the same thing. Or like, I definitely haven't done the same thing and maybe I should try this out. And uh, it's also very sincere for me because this is one of those subjects that's really hard to talk about uh, for a lot of people. And he even mentioned in the book that um, there there seems to be very few resources online and out there in the world where people are very open about these sort of subjects. And uh, just for him to put this out there in the world was really big for me because it's also something that I, I just don't talk about very often. Um, so there's just a lot of levels for me where I felt like personally this was a really good experience just to read it. And it's very light. I mean, it's about uh, 200, 211 pages long. So it's really light. Um, but it was just something that just felt good by the end of it. And um, I definitely recommend it for anybody that just likes reading about things related to mental illness. Or like if somebody is actually suffering from anxiety or you know, a panic disorder or depression or anything else related to that, I think it's just um, it's a little bit comforting. And it's also like, I even tweeted about last night and, and at replied him on it. And I said, like, I would love to be able to say thanks in person, but I got to get over the nervousness. And he actually tweeted me back saying like, oh yeah, anytime. So once I build up courage, I think I'll walk the 200 feet and go and say thanks. But I like, you know, he's kind of a gaming internet celebrity. So that's that, that's another level level for me where like, it's kind of difficult for me to walk up like, Hey Dan, I'm Dan. And you're super famous, and I kind of just work in the same building, and I... Well, don't don't say that. Yeah. Uh, let me help you. Don't say you're super famous.
2: Just treat him like a dude.
1: Yeah, I know. It, like, everybody else in the office like, oh, yeah, he's the most normal guy at Giant Bomb. Like, he's super cool, but it's still like, you know, there's a little bit of a mental barrier for me for that, but uh, overall, like, I'm glad I read the book. I definitely recommend it for anybody, um, especially for us non-readers. It's a very easy read. Did it give you any... Is it Self-helpy? Did it give you like actionable things
0: to do, or is it just really nice to know that there are other people in the world that suffer from the same
1: anxiety? So, okay, he 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 um formatted the the whole structure of the book to be not self-help. Like he admits uh very much up front. He's like, I'm not a doctor. This is not like you should not take this verbatim. But I've gone through this for 12 years. Like I've gone through a lot of different. Things like through medication or meditation or uh, exercise, all these different factors. Here's the stuff that worked for me. Um, This is why it worked. Here's all the observations I've had. And uh, he kind of, he frames it as that. And even at the end of the book, he has a smaller section saying like, these are the things that I've done. Um, So if you want to consider it, these are the steps I took. If you want to try it, cool. Otherwise, uh, definitely try to figure out what works for you and talk to professionals who can help you along the way.
2: Boom. The happy ending makes people happy.
1: Yeah.
2: It's designed to help increase happiness. It's the happiest of all happy endings.
0: This has been On The Grid, episode 111. If you enjoy this show, and you want to participate outside of the show, I'm going to suggest you check out our subreddit. Go to onthegrid.reddit.com. And share the say essay you wrote about how the room changed your life, or share links that you think are relevant to the show, things we might want to talk about, um, or just post feedback. Tell us what you think. There's a show page where there are comments for every episode. You can make a comment on this one. Tell us what you think, um, or tell us to please never talk about the room again. On the grid. Thanks to Mike's Fitz and Fizz Edition for the interlude music girlfriends for the theme music and finally thanks to you for listening until next week
2: Matt, did you see in Tommy Wiseau's AMA how many times he insisted that they paid that dog to be in the film?
0: No, I haven't read the AMA yet. Oh, That's you have good. to. It's the story AMA. I heard that he didn't even know the dog was there until like the 20th take, and that was a totally natural reaction.
2: <laughs> no, no, the, uh, the, the AMA, he, I don't know what's true, because again, what is truth when you're talking about the room? He says that... Uh, that was actually the owner's dog, uh, which makes sense because it's a horrific looking dog. It's not the dog he would hire to be in the movie anyway. But he said that the dog had a very professional attitude and handled itself well on set. And they paid it. They paid it a hundred bucks. Oh,
0: my God. I just imagine him pointing to the dog and be like, you see the dog? He has good attitude. You have good attitude. Why you have bad attitude like dog?
2: Be more like the dog.
0: <laughs> dog is obedient. You, Greg, you're not obedient. You listen to me. Dog is good.
2: <laughs> Bring me warm water with, salt <laughs> with lemon. Oh, God. That's, Dan, it, one of the things that comes out in the beginning of the book is that whenever he goes to restaurants, he orders warm water to drink.
1: What? Why?
2: Yeah. Okay. What is that? I don't what is, know. What the fuck? But also, doesn't, what he, the fuck? doesn't he,
0: during his descriptions of it, of like their restaurant scenes, um, he doesn't drink the warm water. He just orders it.
1: Okay. Oh. Did you notice that
0: when he was describing it that
2: the, in, in the, the book, warm water remains untouched? Oh, I thought he. I thought the thing was he drank it all the time. Maybe I'm misremembering.
0: He never mentions him ever drinking it, but he does mention it a couple of times when he has not drank it.
2: I'm I'm proud that I went this episode without just recounting my favorite scenes from the room, just line <laughs> for line, because <laughs> everything reminded me of one like the scene. Every scene is special in its own unique way. I'm I'm now reminded of the scene where they walk into the coffee shop, and they go up and place an order, and then the person just, they just awkwardly walk away from the counter with no confirmation of what's going to happen. They sit down, (laughs) and then Tommy immediately says, so, how's your sex life? (laughs) And then they have a 45-second conversation about women, and then Tommy goes, oh, I gotta go, and they just walk out.
0: There is a lot of characters just walking into a room well, for like a 30-second purpose and then just immediately leaving. That's are like,
2: you came over for this? That is my favorite thing about the entire movie, Matt. I, did, I didn't mention this during the episode. I'm still recording now. Is Me too. They yeah. don't... Like, Tommy clearly does not have any idea how to start a scene except for in an empty room that everyone walks into, and then <laughs> the scene ends when everyone walks out. Like, that is how the scenes work in his head. Because every character, like, m- maybe it starts in a, in a room with one character sitting alone, and then a second character enters, a scene happens, then one of them leaves, and the scene is over. But that is how everything is structured. How dare you talk to me like that! Oh, what I really want, I somewhere, that digital footage exists. And I want it. Oh, yeah. Wait. Do so.
0: Did he release the the thirty five millimeter version? That's what yes. we're watching. Yeah, the film okay.
2: version is the one that was released uh, somewhere. There's a <laughs> even creepier digital like filming of it all at some high crystal frame rate, clear. Yeah, and I want to see it so badly. I assume it was never edited into the actual movie. Like never actually composed and. Oh, that would
0: be fun. Give give that to... Like, what if you give that to an actual editor? Like, what if you gave that film to a real editor?
2: That would be nice. Do what you want with it. Dude, Kickstarter to hire, like, the world's best... (laughs) World's best producer to somehow fix the digital... You raise
1: raise
0: a million dollars... And say, please, just do. Is a million dollars enough to do
1: that? I actually don't know what it would cost. I don't know what you're I supposed to. pay for I don't think film for editing.
2: most. Well, for a, for a big movie, I don't think that would be enough for the full. No, editing it would. Process. It would have
1: to be charitable for somebody notable to go in and and do it. I think it, that would just be the cost of the actual production, like all the materials and and everything like that. Mm. Okay, so we raised more
0: than a million dollars. Yeah. I'm pretty to... sure
1: you can get more than a million dollars if you say there's digital copies of the room, like all the raw files, let's make it into something cool.
0: Yeah, people are going to that. would be a good... That. When Tommy Rousseau mysteriously disappears, but his... His estate I mean... is left behind. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Oh, people God, I hope him his will. That would be a fantastic mm. use of Kickstarter, or kickstarting in general.
2: Good thinking. So uh, Matt, in your reading, did you come across the theories that uh, Tommy Wusso is DB Cooper?
0: I haven't, but I saw that um, that comic. Uh, what is it? XKCD comic. That's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty Actually,
2: good. It may have it may have originated from that comic, uh, but yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good. I pretty good. The pretty theory, great theory. <laughs> you must be kidding, aren't you? Hmm. Hey, wait, wait! I have big news. Unrelated to this ad read, Tell so me. probably shouldn't say it now. But I'm going to. Uh, Adobe finally fixed the worst bug in the history of their software. Which w- is that? Which is that now you can paste a hex code into the color field in oh, the without, color editor. without,
0: if you have a leading kind
2: of it hash mark? It will drop the leading hash mark automatically <laughs> instead of just saying, I'm sorry, you're trying to post seven characters. This only allows six. <laughs> Nailed it. Figured
0: it out. It learned Thank
2: it. you, Adobe. I, I mean, I submitted that bug many times through many different venues. So I'm going to take credit for that one being fixed. Uh, So thanks to me and thanks to Adobe.
0: (laughs) There you go. (laughs)